little uh, bit of a trivia thing related to last week, but something very special happened in the life of Jacob last week. He had an encounter with God. God spoke to him. He made a vow to God. Now, I wouldn't say it was the best vow because it was kind of like, well, God, you got to do all these things for me. Then you can be my God. But God's pursuing him. He, he has a calling on his life. He has a plan for Jacob. So I would look at it almost like he's made some form of a commitment to, to God in chapter 28. But now he's got to grow. He, you know, he's got a bit of a checkered past, right? He's deceived his brother twice. He, he kind of took advantage of him with his birthright. And then he, got, he deceived his dad in getting the blessing that the, was supposed to go to the firstborn. And, uh, and so uh, Jacob has not necessarily been uh, a model uh, son and somebody who is really a man of integrity. We don't know that he's actually been a servant. And I was thinking about this related to our lives. God loves us just the way we are today, but he loves us too much to keep us that way. In other words, when we come to Christ, we are saved. We're not going to get more saved. We are saved. We are justified by the blood of Jesus. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. We are saved. Am I right? But then begins that next process called sanctification. That sanctification is that chipping away of our selfishness, our self-reliance, that stuff that doesn't belong, the sinful parts of our life, and it's a chipping away, and we are becoming smoother and more and more like Jesus as we grow. That's sanctification. Jacob has some major sanctification that needs to take place. And how is God going to do it? Well, in this story, in chapter 29, Jacob's going to meet his match. And I title this message, Reaping what you sow, or sowing and reaping, because it's so, it's a God principle, it's even, some people call it a law of God, that whatever we sow, we will reap, and God's going to use that principle, that law, so to speak, in Jacob's life to help him get rid of some junk that needs to go. Now, he's not, after chapter 29, he's still got, he's still work in progress, but he's going to be moving along in this process, so Two big lessons that you're going to find on the screen, serving and integrity. I'm just going to put those out there for us all. Serving and integrity, watch for them in the life of Jacob because he's got to learn to do this. So we're in chapter 29, let's start in verse 1. Then Jacob continued on his journey. Remember, he had left from his homeland in uh, Canaan, uh, land of Canaan, and uh, remember, he was kind of on the run. He had two purposes of leaving, by the way. First purpose, to escape his brother who wanted to kill him. Second purpose, his parents sent him to his homeland, their homeland, in uh, the Chaldea area of Ur, um, Haran, Hanan, and it's for to find a wife. So two purposes. So he's on his journey then. So in verse 1, then Jacob continued on his journey and came to the land of the eastern peoples, east of Canaan, of Israel. Then he saw a well in an open country with three flocks of sheep lying near it because the flocks were watered from that well. The stone over the mouth of the well was large. By the way, they would, just put, they would put these stones over the wells because the last thing he wanted was an animal that was thirsty to come 
fall into the well. It would have contaminated the well. You can think about, a, a, let's say there was a, a, an, a, a possum that fell into a well and it started to rot in there. You couldn't drink the water. It'd be contaminated. So they put these big stones over it to protect it. And, and uh, you see these shepherds there with their flocks. Do you know why they, by the way, do you know why the shepherds don't count their flocks? Because every time they count their sheep, they'd be falling asleep. <laughs> That's pretty good, isn't it? Anyway, so there's that stone. Verse 3, when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone away from the well's mouth and water the sheep. Then they would return the stone to its place over the mouth of the well. So we see there, Jacob had left. He comes across this well. Verse 4, Jacob asked the shepherds, my brothers, where are you from? We're from Haran, they replied. Now, remember, he didn't have GPS. There was no road signs. He had no idea where he was going. He was just heading east. There was probably some trade routes that they would take, so they have some knowledge. You ask, oh, keep going down here to this big tree and then take a left or whatever. So he arrives there, and it's an interesting thing to think about this well, too. It's very possible it's the same well that uh, his mother was watering, and that's when the... uh, uh, Abraham's servant came to find a wife for Isaac, which is Jacob's dad. So it's very possible. doesn't say that in Scripture, but same area and, and so forth. Uh, verse 5, he said to them, do you know Laban, Nahor's grandson? Yes, we know him. I don't think they were enthusiastic about saying they know him because Laban's a shady character, and you're going to see just how shady he is in this story. So it's probably like one of those things like, yeah, we know Laban, they answered. Then verse 6, then Jacob asked, is he well? Yes, he is, they, rep- they said. And here comes his daughter, Rachel, with the sheep. Now, all of a sudden, Jacob's like, the lights are coming on, like, uh, you know Laban? Oh, yes, we know Laban. Oh, here comes his daughter, Rachel. Why was that significant? Well, let's look back at chapter 28, the previous chapter. I have it on the screen, verses 1 through 3. So Isaac called for Jacob. This is still when he was back in Canaan. He said to Jacob, he blessed him, and he commanded him, Do not marry a Canaanite woman. Go at once to Pedam Aram, to the house of your uh, mother's father, Bethuel. Take a wife for yourself there from among the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a communities of peoples. So this is really interesting. You see that how the providence of God guiding Jacob to the very well where Laban's daughter's coming. This is what they were, this is what his parents were seeking. Like, go back to your family. Now, uh, if you're like me, you can figure this thing out. Uh, if it's a daughter of mother's brother, you know what that makes, Rachel, right? First cousin. So uh, it is what it is. Uh, There was a lot closer relationships in biblical times, especially as you got closer to creation, because there wasn't all the mutations in the gene pool. It was God's wisdom that he didn't want people to marry in close family members because of the mutations allowing for disformities and so forth as as uh, more mutations took place in the gene pool, but it didn't seem to be a problem back then. But look on the screen. 
I, I think this principle is so important. Proverbs 16, 9 says, A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. That's exactly what happened for Jacob. He planned his way to head east, looking for Laban, looking for that, and look at how the Lord landed him in just the right place. So here's, an, here's our first point for tonight is ask and trust God with the decisions of life. Ask him. Trust him for the decisions of life. You're going to see in the story how God put Jacob and Rachel together in a very similar way to how God brought his parents together, except in that particular case, dad sent a servant rather than Isaac going. And I was, getting to th- I was thinking, one of the stories I've never told here, and I, I'm going to ter- tell it for the first time, it's such an incredible story, it's, it's about our daughter Anna. Some of, some of you know our daughter Anna, she was a sent out missionary from our church, she served in uh, the Middle East, in the country, I can say it now because she had been away from there for a while, but she served the Lord in the country of Jordan. And uh, she was in Jordan serving, serving at a Calvary chapel, and she felt uh, she was talking to us, and she felt her time was coming to an end. The very day she bought her plane ticket to come back, and she, it was going to be like in about three months, so she bought her plane ticket to come back. That night, she was meeting up with um, an old pastor. She had gone to Bible college for part of her time in Japan, and the pastor that she had in Japan him and his family were in Israel, and they were going over to Jordan. And because they were in Jordan, they were saying, let's go look up Anna Folkerts because, you know, because we know she's serving the Lord in Jordan. So they were going to take her out for dinner in Amman, Jordan. And so as Anna's getting ready that night, her roommate says, you know, I have this feeling that tonight you're going to meet your future husband. Anna's like, well, that ain't going to happen. It's a couple and their daughter coming, Okay. Well, Anna went looking for them. She had a hard time finding them. She just about gave up trying to meet with them. She could not find them. Eventually, they connected. They met up. She had dinner. And at the end of the dinner, this pastor took a picture of his family along with Anna. It was kind of a caption and put it on Facebook saying, look who we found in Jordan. Well, one of the people that is on Facebook friends with him is now our son-in-law because he was serving the Lord in China Uh, He served for seven years as a missionary in China, and he would go over to Japan to renew his visa, and so he knew this pastor, but at this time, he's living in San Diego. I know there's a lot of details with this story. Is that okay? (laughs) So he's he's back in the States. He's in San Diego, and he sees this post on Facebook. Oh, there's Pastor Tommy. Oh, who's that girl with his family? So he contacts Pastor Tommy. Who is that girl? Is she single? Is she a missionary? Because he was a missionary, and he wanted to eventually marry a missionary. Tommy says, yes and yes. Do you mind if I reach out to get to know her? So Tommy, the pastor, contacts Anna and says, there's this guy I know. He's a really neat guy, and so far I know him. There's not a weirdo or anything, but he would like to, he would like to connect up with you. Anna's like, that seems pretty random. It's kind of weird. Yeah, I suppose I could talk to him. <laughs> so they started communicating. Within a few days, Anna contacts us and says, I think I've met my future husband. <laughs> They've been married for four and a half years now. They, were, they, were, they only had an online relationship for about five months, I think, before they were actually met in person, because Anna had to move back 
Then she went out to San Diego, met him in person, and so forth. But by that time, they had really developed a relationship. They got engaged a few months later, and then, you know, six months later, they got married and so forth. And it's just a neat story how God can put two people together. See, I believe in the sovereignty of God, don't you? His providence, that he can put things together. Why do we ever not trust him? He's the almighty God. He's the creator of the whole universe. He can put things together way better than any of us can do it. But do we trust him? See, sometimes God isn't working in our situation because maybe he's saying, uh, you know, that's not my will, or uh, I love you too much to allow that to happen, or you got some own development that you need to do first before you're ready for the next thing. We just have to trust him. He has no problem putting people together at the right time. This is what you see here in this story as well with Jacob and Rachel. So let's keep going. Verse 7. Look, he said. Now this is Jacob talking. The sun is still high, and it's not time for the flocks to be gathered. He's talking to the other shepherds now. Water the sheep and take them back to the pasture. We can't, they replied, until all the flocks are gathered and the stone has been rolled away from the mouth of the well. Then we will water the sheep. I don't know. This, this, is a, this is my opinion in here. You know, like Pastor Dave Barnes always got opinions too, doesn't he? I think Jacob's trying to get rid of these other shepherds. He sees Rachel coming, and he's thinking, I need some alone time with this girl. Uh, you other shepherds around here, I don't need any other competition. Uh, why don't you get your sheep watered and, and out of here? It's the middle of the day. You shouldn't be here yet. Oh, we can't roll this stone away and so forth. Well, let's keep going. Verse 9. While he was still talking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherd. When Jacob saw, uh, when Jacob saw Rachel, daughter of her uncle Laban, and Laban's sheep, he went over and rolled the stone away. Uh, do you think maybe he was uh, trying to show off a little bit? These shepherds saying, it's going to take a bunch of us to roll that stone away. It's pretty big. <laughs> I'll do it. <laughs> you know, there's a way sometimes that guys, if they're really interested in a woman, they try to show off and try to impress them. I, I personally think this is what Jacob was doing. Like, uh, so he rolls the stone away from the mouth of the well, and look what he did. He watered his uncle's sheep. Now, contrast this to the story earlier with uh, the servant of Abraham with Rebekah. Rebekah watered, remember, the camels of the servant. Here now, Jacob... And this, remember, part of the lesson is Jacob is having to learn to be a servant. Why is that important? Because he came from a wealthy family. He had servants. He didn't have to do things. But see, like for all of us, God wants us to learn to be a servant. And he, you see that this is the first sign of him beginning to serve. He's, he's, he's watering his uncle's sheep. Verse 11, then, then Jacob kissed Rachel and began to weep aloud. Now, uh, before your imaginations run a little too wild there, um, I, I think it was probably more of a customary kiss, maybe a kiss with the hand, maybe like they do in a lot of European countries where they kiss kind of on, on the cheeks or something like that. I don't think it was a, you know, laid on the lips type of kiss or anything like that. But it just says he kissed her, and he began to weep aloud. And why do you suppose he was weeping? I think he was so happy. Like, you know what? My parents sent me to go find a daughter of Laban. God has answered this prayer. Here she is. And not only has he answered it, 
but she's beautiful. You know, I, I remember praying for a wife, and I was like, I'd given my life to Christ, and I was praying for a wife, and I was thinking, well, Lord, I want you to fulfill this. And I was thinking, Lord, be nice if she was good looking, too. <laughs> he went above and beyond. <laughs> he went above and beyond what I could pray for. <laughs> she's embarrassed now. She's looking down. Jacob's probably feeling the same thing, like, wow, Lord, you've answered. Remember, he was, he was asking for God's help in chapter 28. So he's weeping aloud. Then he told Rachel that he was a relative of her father and a son of Rebekah. So she ran and told her father. Now, I'm guessing Rebekah knew all, of, Rachel knew all about Rebekah. Remember, they, were a, a, they passed history down. There were oral stories. They would, they would know the stories, and they would pass them down from generation to generation. She liked, because that was such a, a, a wild story about how this rich servant of a person from, you know, 1,000 miles away came with, remember, 10 camels loaded with things and brought all this stuff and, and took Laban's sister, Rebecca, as a wife for her, her master's son, Isaac. They probably knew that story, and they were like, wow, there's a lot of similarities with this. So look at it. It says that Rachel, so she ran and told her father. Verse 13. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he hurried to meet him. You know what? I bet he did. He's probably thinking, I hope there's 10 camels full of stuff. You know, he, you're going to find out he's not only a con man, but he's pretty greedy too. So he embraced him, kissed him, and brought him to his house. And there Jacob told him all these things. Then Laban said to him, you're my own flesh and blood. And after Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month. Now, Jacob's not in a hurry to leave, is he? Remember his two reasons for being there was for a wife, but also to hide from his brother who wanted to kill him. So he's there for a month, and Laban said to him, just because you're a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. So we're starting to see the servanthood. Jacob's having to learn to serve. He's having to learn for work. You know, this is really good. Parents, you got to teach your kids to work. If you give them everything, they won't know how to work. One of the valuable lessons you can give your kids is a work ethic. And what I have found over the years is that if a kid doesn't have to work, they generally don't. And how do you have them have to work? is have them start to pay for things. And as they get older, they begin to pay for things, and they learn. We told our kids early on that if you want a car someday, you're going to have to pay for it. And they all wanted wheels to have their freedom, so they had to work for it. We helped them with insurance, but they had to pay their, for their own vehicles. So they all got jobs at 14 and 15 years of age. And later on, they told us that was such a valuable thing that we taught them how to work. And today, they all have strong work ethics. You know, growing up on a farm, we learned to work at a very young age, doing chores, taking care of animals, and, and doing hard work. And I have to say, in today's generation, a lot of young people aren't learning to work. They're not learning to serve. And so, really, you know, and it goes for all of us, too. We are to be servants of the Lord. Sometimes people just want to come and be a consumer in a church. This is not Walmart. Okay? This isn't a movie theater. 
This is the body of Christ. We all have a part. We need to do our part. We need to work. We have people working in the parking lot, working in the cafe, working in the kids' ministry, working our guest services, working on the cameras right now, all over the place. People giving their tithes and their offerings so we can do what we do here. But we all are to contribute. We're all to work. This is how God created us. And, and Jacob's learning to do that by having to work for something, something very valuable. So here's our next thing for us to keep in mind. Do I have the mindset of a servant? This is what God has called us to do. And he gave us Jesus as an example. Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve us. And if we're going to be Christ followers, we have to have the mindset of a servant. You know, for me, okay, I'm the senior pastor here, but you're not here to serve me. I'm here to serve you. Do you know what the word minister means? It means servant. And it could be in a variety of different ways. We are called to serve. And sometimes people over time, church history got all twisted and turned where they, they elevated the clergy into this position where they were way up here and everybody was down there and they just kind of like, Oh, we do all this stuff for the, for, the, for the clergy. No, it's not that way. We are all servants of Christ. Amen? Amen. Jacob's learning, part of the valuable thing that he's learning. Verse 16. So now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older one was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Now, we don't know, know exactly what that weak eyes was. And I've read all the commentators. And by the way, you know what commentators are? They're just commentators. <laughs> but the commentators all have opinions. Some believe that the weak eyes means that she had poor eyesight. Some believe, and this is probably the camp that I'm in, because it was comparing it to Rachel being beautiful and of, of, of nice figure, that weak eyes meant uh, she wasn't anything to look at, okay? That she, she was maybe kind of homely looking or something like that. She, she wasn't really attractive. But because it contrasts Rachel and her beauty versus it says that Leah has weak eyes. And by the way, the name uh, Rachel means you lamb. It's like a, it's like a, a lamb. It's, it's like a, uh, that's just what her name means, a ewe lamb, where Leah means weary and tired, which might describe kind of her appearance, that maybe she just looked kind of worn out and so forth. So there's the two daughters. Uh, but late, it says that, verse 18, Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your daughter, Rachel. Now, that's way above and beyond what a typical dowry might be, a bride payment. A year would have been sufficient. But Jacob, he's willing to for seven years. Now, maybe part of the motivation might be, boy, that's going to give a lot more time for my brother Esau to be kind of cooled down and not be after my life and so forth. But uh, he obviously has a great love. And I would, con I would say this is one good thing about Jacob here. It does not appear like it's a lust. See, today's um, worldliness in relationships, sometimes people get lust confused with love and vice versa. He, Jacob was willing to be patient and work for his future wife. 
He didn't just shack up with her quickly. And so you see a good quality here in, in, in uh, Jacob in this. So verse 19, Laban said, well, it's better I give, it, give her to you than to some other man. <laughs> I was thinking, my, if my daughters were still single, I don't know if that would be quite a line I could use with, with, when they come asking me for the hand of my daughters in marriage. Um, well, I best, better I give it to her to you than someone else. <laughs> not a real, not a real uh, encouraging response, is it? I mean, you think about it. This is Laban. This is the type of guy he is. Verse 19, it's better that I give her to you than some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. That's probably one of the more romantic statements in the Bible. What a good job, uh, Jacob. You're starting to come around, okay? Then Jacob said to, to Laban, Give me my wife. My time is completed. So his seven years was up. I'm sure Laban wasn't probably keeping track of it like Jacob was. My time is completed. I want to make love to her. And before you kind of run off and think, oh, man, he's, he's only after one thing there. It's just a term for consummating the marriage, you know, making love. Once they came together sexually, that was consummating the marriage. So he was just, just saying, I want to be married. I want to consummate this. So Laban brought together all the people of the place, and gave a feast. Now, that word feast goes beyond just having food. It was a term that was used when there was a lot of alcohol also utilized. And you'll know why in a moment why uh, Laban was very free, the, the bar very open for this wedding. Okay, He wanted people to drink plenty because of what he's doing here. That, and that's what's symbolized in that word feast, verse 23. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah, remember the weary and tired one, weak-eyed one, and brought her to Jacob, and Jacob made love to her. And Laban gave his servant Zilpha to his daughter as her attendant. When morning came, wouldn't you have liked to watch the video of this? <laughs> when morning came, there was Leah. Can you imagine? It's just getting light. Jacob's opening his eyes. <laughs> now, remember, they, they would have gotten married. She probably would have had a veil on, dark. It's not like there's a lot of lights, probably a few candles. But when they went into the tent, it's dark. But I think it's very interesting to really think about this. I didn't, until I really studied this, I didn't really think about this quite so much as that. What part did Leah have in this? We, you know, we know the scoundrel that, that Laban is here. But was Leah going along with this too? Did, he, did, did she know about it? Likely. Otherwise, all she would have said is, I know you've been working for Rachel. I'm not Rachel. She could have stopped it completely. She didn't, did she? And we don't know where Rachel's at in this either. Did uh, Laban take some servants and take Rachel off and... and distract her and get her away so she wouldn't be around the wedding? We don't know. We don't see that in the Scripture, but she's not there. So verse 25, when morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you've done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you, what, deceived me? What goes around comes around. 
This word in Hebrew means to act treacherously or to betray, that we're deceived. Jacob was finally feeling what he was doing to other people. So here's the next question for us in our own lives, because this was a lesson that Jacob was having to learn. He was not a person of integrity, but back for us, am I a person of of integrity? Am I a deceiver? Am I honest? Am I one way with church people, another way with my neighbors and coworkers? Am I a person of integrity? I value integrity a tremendous amount. Not only in my life, but in the people that I work alongside of, the people that I lead. Because I've seen a lot of examples where people were one way, for example, in a pulpit and some way totally different in their own personal life. And I, I just have a hard time with that. Now, I'm not perfect. The word integrity comes from the, the root word integer. You know, an integer is a, a word that's it's like a whole number. It's complete. And when you think about integrity, it's like we're whole. We're not, we're not divided. We're not one way in this situation, another way. And we're not deceiving. We're a person who's honest. And Jacob had to feel what it was like if he was going to begin to stop being a deceiver himself. Verse 26. So Laban replied, Well, it's not our, isn't it our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one? Finish the daughter's bridal week, and then we'll give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. You see the scoundrel he is? We don't even know for sure if that's really the custom. And he sure could have told Jacob that about seven years earlier, but he didn't. He withheld that information if it was true. But you know what? Oftentimes people do, when they are caught in a lie, what do they do? They twist it. They turn it. They lie again. They they cover their tracks. There's an excuse. This is what seems like Laban's doing it. And then he comes up with another plan. Well, okay, well, you work with another seven years. It's almost like he had this one already planned, didn't he? Why? He's getting all this labor, this free labor. And we know later on, we'll get into it next week, uh, Jacob was a good worker. And God was blessing his work. And as a result, Laban was being blessed greatly by Jacob. But I want you to think about this. You see the principle on the screen. What I sow, I will reap. And I'm just saying for all of us, sow seeds of integrity, humility, and servanthood. That's what God wants for us. Sow those seeds, and we will reap that. God is looking for people of integrity, of humility, of servanthood. There's a principle here in Galatians 6. You'll see it on the screen. Do not be deceived. You know when Scripture said don't be deceived, you know what that means? A lot of people don't understand this. They are deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, and would you say Jacob had been doing that in the previous chapters? Yeah, he was sowing to uh, please his flesh. From the flesh will reap destruction. But whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time, We will reap a harvest 
if we do not give up. That means there's a delay. In my background in farming, you plant the seeds and you have to wait. You don't harvest the next day, the next week. It's a delay, just like it is for this. You'll reap a proper time. There's a proper time to reap if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, but especially those who belong to the family of believers. This principle needs to get down deep into all of us, that we reap what we sow. And if you think, well, I can get away with this, I'm doing this shady stuff, nobody ever knows, then you're already deceived. Because as the scripture says, don't, God's not going to be mocked. He, he's not going to say, well, I, I'm just going to turn a blind eye to you. No, there is a principle. You sow to your flesh, you're going to reap destruction. You sow to the spirit, you're going to reap eternal life. You're, things are going to go so much better for you. God's not going to be mocked. And when we continually say, I'm doing good, I'm doing good, I'm just not seeing any return. God is saying in that passage, proper time you'll reap. You don't do it right away if you don't give up. Many times people get discouraged and they give up. I want you to think about Jacob for a moment. How did he deceive his dad? His dad couldn't see, and it was a switch of the firstborn with the uh, of this of the youngest with the firstborn. How was Jacob deceived? He couldn't see. And it was a switch of the oldest for the youngest. I would say that was reaping what he sowed, right? I'm sure that went through Jacob's head over and over and over, thinking like, oh boy, now I feel like what my brother Esau must felt like and what my dad felt like. I did to them what just was done to me. This is a tool that God is using to chip away this junk from Jacob's life. In other words, he can use this principle of sowing and reaping to help us become more like Christ. It's like this. When we go through these type of things, you all know what this is. It's a mirror. Oh, man, I got air out of place. Huh? <laughs> As a mirror, we look into it, and we see our reflection, and we see things that we not normally see, and we can make changes. And it's like this principle of sowing and reaping. It's like a, a, a mirror to us so that we can see something in ourselves that shouldn't be there or that should change. You know, the, the Bible is a, is a mirror unto us as well. As we're reading the scriptures, we can change. God's word is a mirror to us. But also these trials, these things that God likes, takes us through is like a mirror that can help us to see things in us that we wouldn't normally see. And by the way, if you're married... Your spouse is like a mirror to you as well. If you listen, if you're open to them, they will share things with you. I know that. <laughs> Why are you laughing? You think, you think Barb has corrective words for me or something? <laughs> oh, yeah. Verse 28. And Jacob uh, did so. He finished the week with Leah. And that week that, that, week that was mentioned was like the... the the honeymoon, the, the wedding lasted a week and so forth. So he, he finished that seven weeks, of, or excuse me, that one week, seven days of being with Leah. And then Laban gave his daughter Rachel to be his wife. So he didn't have to wait another seven years. He just waited seven days at that point. And Laban gave his servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her attendant. So now we see a big problem, don't we? 
two wives. It's never God's design, never his plan. It's always been man, woman for life. And sometimes when you read in Scripture about people having multiple wives, that's descriptive, not prescriptive. In other words, it's describing what they did. It's not like God wants that to happen. He knows the problems of that. And we're about to read the problems of when you have multiple wives. And you might say, well, you know, I don't have multiple wives. Well, what if you have a, a wife work, I mean, a, 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 a work wife and a home wife? Or you have, you're involved in, in a, a, an adultery affair? Or are you you know, emotionally tied to some other person other than your spouse or whatever? Same type of thing. God designed us two becoming one. It's not three and four becoming one. And I'm just, I, I, I'm just going to step out here in almost a way. I, I, I see the slippery slope of our society and the sin. And it's like as soon as something's accepted and then we move on to something else and then we move on to something else, you know the next couple big ones that are probably coming down the road because there's so much acceptance of other sins right now, Polygamy will probably come and be more of an issue and more in our society and probably uh, uh, with minors. It's just probably going to come because it's just, sin does not ever stop at a certain level. It always continues to degrade and degrade and degrade and, and, and go down. But you see the problems here, and so let's keep going. Verse 30, Jacob made love to Rachel also, and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. Yeah, that's the one he worked for. That's the one he fell in love with. And he worked for Laban another seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, and actually in the original language is beyond not loved, it's actually hated. Now you can see he, wasn't, he didn't hate her too much because he had kids with her. But think about this. Maybe Leah was in on the plot with dad. She likely was. But look what it says there. Then he... The Lord enabled her to conceive. See, God still loved Leah. And that, that sometimes we don't quite understand the love of God. But God saw that Leah wasn't loved, and so he gave her an advantage over Rachel. He allowed her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. I, again, I think that, that little detail there is because God's still working on Jacob. He's trying to develop his trust in in the Lord and praying for a child for Rachel and so forth. I just know it's a part of God chipping away that mirror to helping uh, Jacob change. Verse 32, Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son, and she named him Reuben, for she said, it's because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my son, my husband will love me now. And she conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. Now remember, in the Middle East especially, that culture put a high value on women having children, but especially sons. So we see already the, the, the issues happening between Rachel, who couldn't have children, and Leah, who's having son after son. Verse 34, and after she conceived, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Now at last my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. So he was named Levi. And she conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, This time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. 
I think it's really significant here to understand what the names of these sons meant. Because it gives us an insight of what was going through Leah's mind when she gave these children a name. So I have it up on the screen. Reuben means see a son. Remember, she didn't feel love, so she's probably saying, okay, Jeff, Jacob, Jacob, look at, look at, see, here's a son for you. Now you're going to love me. Nothing changed. Next son comes, Simeon. Oh, the Lord has heard me. Oh, the, the Lord's helping me now. Here's another son, Simeon. Still no change. She has another son, Levi. And she said, now there's going to be an attachment. You're going to be attached to me because three sons. Still no change. I think Leah finally got to this realization. Uh, it's not going to happen with sons. So what does she do with her fourth son? She names him Judah, which means praise. And I think at this point in time, she said, I just need to praise the Lord. I just need to put my eyes on Jesus or on the Lord at that time because uh, it's not happening with my, my husband. Which lends itself to our next point. You see it down at the bottom. We all have a hole in our soul that only God can fill. Leah was looking for a husband and children to fill a hole in her soul, and it wasn't happening. Finally, she got to the point, she said, I'm just going to praise the Lord, Judah. And you know where Jesus came from? The tribe of Judah. This is where the Lord came from. She got to that point, almost like a giving up. This was the last one she had. But I think there's a message for all of us. That many times, because we can have this hole in our soul, if we're not filling this up with the Lord, we can always think, if only I get this next job, if only I get this promotion, if only I get this extra money, if only I have children, if only I get married, if only I retire, if only... And it's always like, this next thing, this next thing, and it's going to fulfill me. No. It's the Lord. Praise Him. Fill that void, that hole in your soul, with the Lord. Amen? And some of you may not be saved yet. And you have that big gaping hole, and it's meant to be filled with the Holy Spirit, a relationship with God. Don't leave today without having the Lord fill that void, because otherwise, if you try, you're going to leave here, and you're going to always think of the next thing, this next thing, and, and, and it's, you're always going to come up empty. It's not until you praise and you fall in love with the Lord that you're going to find that. So here's the last thing I, give, I leave you with today, and that is the Lord wants us to serve him and others with integrity. And that's what he was doing with Jacob. Jacob was having to learn to serve. First a month, then for seven years, then the next seven years. And he was having to learn integrity. And how best to learn integrity? By someone doing to you what you had done to others, deceiving people. See, God loved Jacob. He met him there in Bethel, last, last chapter, but he loved him too much to keep him that way. Same thing with you and me. He's chipping away. He's molding us into his character. So let's go to the Lord now in prayer. Father, first of all, we examine our own hearts, our own lives. What have we been sowing? Have we been sowing to the flesh or to the spirit? And I pray all of us would do an inventory of our own lives and say, are there things that we are sowing that are not pleasing to you? Because we don't want to be deceived. We know that we will reap what we sow. Help us to sow 
spiritual things. Sow into your kingdom. Help us to be more like you. Help us, Lord, with our resources, our time, our affections. Also, we see a picture here of a man who didn't love one of his wives. For all of us, are we loving our spouse? Are we helping our spouse, loving them practically, emotionally, physically? Are we generous with our spouse? Are we meeting their needs? There may be others here, Lord, who have a hole in their soul. They know it. They feel that emptiness. They're they're trying to fill it with all kinds of things. And it's always that if only. And when that if only comes, they realize they still have that hole. Help them tonight to see that their only answer is to praise you, to to surrender all to you, to, to allow you to fill that hole of their soul. And for each of us today, Lord, help us to serve you. Help us to be people of of integrity. And we put our eyes on you, Lord Jesus, because you're our example. You came to serve. You were sinless. You gave us your life as an example. And how you lived and how you died, we put our faith and trust in you. We want to follow you with our whole life. And we pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. And we all said, now before I dismiss you, I just want to share with you, if, if, if you're experiencing that hole in your soul, don't leave. You might be thinking, uh, tomorrow I, I get away, Some, someday. Let the Lord fill that. I know what that hole feels like. For two years, people were sharing the gospel with me. And I was like, I was aware of that hole in my soul, and I was trying to fill it in all the wrong stuff. And finally, I came to the end of myself, and I said, it's not working. And when I cried out to Jesus, everything changed. I became that new creation in Christ. And you can have that exact same thing. Amen? God bless you, and have a great rest of your week.